Welcome, welcome, welcome to Building the Black Educator Pipeline podcast. I'm your host, Shana Terrell, educated activist dedicated to the lifelong struggle of freedom and liberation for my people. Major shout out to all my co-conspirators out there listening today. You have come to the right place where we talk to real people in the real struggle, doing the real work. Building the Black Educator Pipeline podcast attended Building a Movement, Creating and Sustaining a Diverse Teacher Workforce Convening, hosted by Education Trust and the Center for Black Educator Development. There, we had the opportunity to record directly from the convening and connect with two EdTrust staffers, Lynn Jennings and Eric Duncan, about their work and the convening. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome, Lynn Jennings, to Building the Black Educator Pipeline podcast. We are so happy to have you here. So we would love for you to take the time to tell the people who you are. What should we know about Lynn Jennings? Thank you for having me. Um, so about me, Lynn Jennings, I'm from Baltimore. I'm from Baltimore City. Uh, grew up there and decided I want to be an educator early on. I come from a family of educators. Um, my grandfather was actually the principal of the only black high school in, um, in Bessemer, Alabama, which is where my mother's from. So out of eight kids, all what three of them went into education. So I just kind of grew up knowing some way, somehow education was going to be part of my life. Um, didn't follow the path I expected to. Uh, ended up getting a PhD in English, thought I was going to be a college professor um, in 19th century American literature. That's what my expertise is in. That's what I thought I would be teaching. I thought I would be teaching two to three classes um, a semester and writing books. And, um, and that didn't work out because I got married and had a family. And so um, when I moved to D.C., I figured out by working with the Congressional Black Caucus and the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation how to bring together education and my interest in politics. And I discovered this whole world of ed policy. Um, did not know much about it at all and just learned um, that that's where the power is. That's where you can make change. And the things that I was seeing in the classrooms, hearing about what's happening in classrooms in higher ed and in K through 12, um, things that teachers were talking about, that this is one place where, to be honest, there weren't a lot of us, a lot of folks looking like me in these conversations and wanted to see and wanted to figure out how I can make a difference that we could be at some of these decision-making tables around education. So um, so I just started a path there, learned ed policy on the job, and then came to work for Ed Trust because everybody told me Ed Trust is the place to come if you want to learn about equity in education. Listen, I love that. And I really love hearing about your family being a family of educators. Um, a lot of time we, we have folks on the show and they don't have examples of educators, um, you know, right in their direct line of sight or their path. Um, so you don't even have those doors open for them to understand what education is and how impactful it is. So grateful that you were able to have that experience. Is that what inspired you to be an educator? Um, is there a story or a thing that has happened to you that like really inspired you to say like, you know what, education is where I want to be? I think part of what, yes. Uh, and I think it was just somewhat understood um, growing up that, the, the, so this is how it was, like the way you're going to have doors open to you is through education. And like I said, I think with my family coming from the South that it was understood if you got your education, that's what can't be taken away from you. And so I grew up hearing that quite a bit. Um, and also understanding that even 
for my grandparents. Um, and I talked about my grandfather, really my grandmother. I mean, after having eight children, she went back to school. Mm. Um, and she got her college degree at the same time he got his master's degree. And she would tell us, this is what they can't take away. They can take away. We've seen them burn buildings here. We've seen them drop bombs around here. We've seen everything. But the one thing they cannot take away from you is your education. So I grew up hearing that. And like I said, I didn't quite know what I was going to do with it. Um, but that's just, it was just somewhat understood that that was your weaponry. That was like your, your power. That's where it's going to come from. So I think I had that along with that um, within the community, my grandparents just had a lot of respect. Like, no, I mean, often, you know, my mother would tell this story that you didn't make a lot of money. So my, my grandfather, you know, did okay, but he also um, used to deliver ice at night, you know? And so, um, and she was like, he was the man that if you were having black people walking down the street, it was always, hello, Mr. Cobb, hello, Mr. Cobb. White man walking down the street, he had to get off the sidewalk mm-hmm. and move to the side for him. And so, and so see, hearing those stories growing up and so, and what that meant for um, what he meant in his community, I think I was, you know, just thought, I want to carry on some of that and what he was fighting for and what he was doing. And like I said, I didn't totally know what it looked like, but it seemed like it was going to be through education in some way. Yes. So it looks like to me, your grandparents were doing what most black people do and they train their replacements um, and instill those values um, inside of you. But yes, carrying on the legacy and the fight for equity and justice, um, but doing that through education was just super important. And your story is, is really powerful to hear. Um, a lot of times on this platform, we talk about some of the heroes, definitely of the civil rights movement um, or the black power movement. And, you know, you hear about these like figures and these people. Mm-hmm. There were so many people, ordinary people right. like your grandparents who were doing their part um, to fight for equity and fight for justice and prepare the next generation, mm-hmm. which is you, mm-hmm. to carry on the fight. Mm-hmm. So I just think that your story is awesome. I think that is it, it's dope. And I love it because I feel like you are so inspired um, by the work that they did. And again, not even knowing, right, that you're supposed to be going into education. Mm -hmm. Um, But the whole concept about they can't take education away from us, right? You can lock down our bodies, but you cannot lock down our minds. Mm -hmm. It's such an important concept um, for folks, for teachers in education to understand, but also for our youth to understand. Mm -hmm. Because I just don't think that they understand the gravity of um, education and how many doors it can unlock. And not just to a job, right? right? right. Because some people are like, I got to get educated because I need to get a job. Right. Um, but not just to a job, just to the world of understanding and knowing, right? Like what's happening, mm-hmm. especially in the world of politics, which you and I will get into um, a little bit later. Now, you work at EdTrust. Can you tell us a little bit about EdTrust? What is EdTrust for folks who do not know? So we're a nonprofit advocacy organization. Um, we focus on closing opportunity gaps for students of color and students with low-income backgrounds. So what does that really mean? It means that we're working for, when it comes to federal policy, how do you get um, some of the you're using policy to address, address some of the injustices that we see. So what can we use? What levers can we use to inch things a little bit closer to how we're going to close gaps for um, students of color? And then we also now we've been expanding and doing it on the state level. So working in coalitions and in, in partnerships because we, we know that a lot of the power 
that in education that you had 20, 25 years ago that was more on the federal level is now very much coming to the state and even more so getting more to a local level. Like we're seeing this shift in policy. And so um, so we, we spend a lot of time focusing on how we can work with folks who are interested in, want to make a change, um, want to want to see things changing in their schools and how and how we can get legislation legislation passed policy um, enacted um, then even more so used properly because often mm-hmm. it's not you know um, and understanding that by working through working with others that that's the way we're really going to make the change that we want to see so it was a long answer for ed trust but that's a lot of the work you know it was a great answer it was a thorough answer for ed trust okay we need that i should also say but we but one way we do it is through um so my team we work a lot with with coalitions um but we also have a whole research team and so they're the ones who are doing the research the data analysis that you need the reports that are getting read um if there's something that is going on in data we're not sure what questions should you be asking in terms of what's happening for certain for students who for years have been you know put in the back or have been ignored you know um, and um, what their experience is like in the classroom so how do you bring those those conversations together where you have the practice you have the research and then you have the advocacy and so that's what we do at Ed trust good stuff so one of the things about policy is almost like the invisible hand at times in education, um, unless you're really focused in that area, people don't talk about policy and how policy actually impacts or influences education. Um, But you look up and there's a bill passed Mm -hmm. that affects funding for education. You look up and there's some type of bill passed that affects the curriculum that you're able to teach within your state. You look up and funding for how you're actually going to be able to pay people or fund your schools all are impacted by these policy changes that people have no idea about how that works. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about how policy actually does impact and influence education? Wow. Well, you just gave it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, and I I think that's one reason why I often start with telling my stories. Like, I did not know about the world of policy. So I think often we used to talk about what's the impact, you know, but how did we even get there? So you look up and you find yourself having to fight against something, you know, defend or wonder where did this come from, not understanding that or not even knowing, like you said, it's invisible that that's been going on for months and months, if not years, that folks have been working on it. And so what rooms is that happening in? What conversations are happening in um, for policy? Um, I would say one that um, we think about a lot right now. I mean, we're here at this at this convening around teacher diversity and educator diversity, you know, that you we've heard for I, I can remember when I started at Trust. So it was about ten or eleven years, eleven years ago is now. Um, the conversation around teacher diversity was and I'm saying this being in DC, you know, um, on the federal level, very much we think it might be important, but we're not really sure. Um, and no one can tell us how that's important in any kind of way. You know, like, so I've often been in conversations where they would say, you hear more things like, it's important to have a quality teacher than it is, or a quality teach educator workforce than a diverse one, mm-hmm. as if the two don't go together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and the two aren't the same in a lot of ways. So, um, 
so and and what we and so what we've been trying to figure out for many years and it's gotten we've got the research to support it now how important it is but also beginning to think about the policy levers so you look at things like um definitely curriculum you know um that one what what teachers are able to teach not able to teach we're having these conversations now around curriculum you know what is considered um so-called CRT, you know, mm-hmm. anti-CRT um, curriculum, which is not a real thing, but anyway. Yes, um, yes. So, Speak you know, <laughs> they, um, but I'm like that, that all of those are like policy conversations that are going to, that are happening or beginning to happen or have been happening. Um, you see it and also your hiring practices, you know, so you can have a policy or something or more around that. If you make um, diversity of a goal of some sort, then that's a policy, and then you have to figure out how you're going to implement it. That's important. Um, so policy works that way. Funding, that's a big one, you know, around in policy. So um, how you're going to, um, what needs to be funded, how it gets funded, um, it's all around policy. So it comes in a lot of ways, I guess, I would say, um, in education, Um yeah, I feel like I got off your question, but yeah. No, you you were right on because the segue into that is, yes, how does it influence and impact? But what you started to go into is why is policy so important in the state of education right now? Mm-hmm. I think in so many different ways, education is under attack mm-hmm. um, and people don't even see it coming. Mm-hmm. Um You know, America has a way of wrapping up <laughs> the things that are going on into that are politics, like simply politics into people's values and morals. And, you know, if they teach your kids CRT, your home and your values as a Christian will be under attack. I mean, just crazy rhetoric um, that people spew um, about educations that have serious, serious consequences. Um, but I would love to hear some of the things that Ed Trust is doing right now to combat mm-hmm. um, some of the crazy stuff um, that's happening in, in education. So I'm going to come back to like run the one around um, CRT for for a minute, um, and that is, I mean, one way a, a policy will work, and I think the invisible hand on that one is that we have all these conversations that are happening. If you look at some of the laws on policy law um, on the books, very vague, doesn't say much of anything at all. Mm-hmm. How that actually gets implemented policy wise could have a huge impact. And we see that impact even with educators wanting to come out the classroom. And what is that doing? You know, Mm -hmm. um, the concern that um, our school leaders are having. What can I do? What can I not do? Um, How that's feeling for even students and their and their families. What 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 can we say? What can we not say? You know, what's allowed? What's not allowed? Who who should whose history in this country is a value and who's not, you know, mm-hmm. and who's in it and not. So that's, I mean, just in terms of how, how policy can have an impact just on the daily is of what we're seeing right now. Um, I think for Ed Trust, I mean, our, our big one, um, we're having a lot in, among, in our states around funding. Bec- for COVID um, and so much of the relief dollars that were given on the federal level to states and um, ultimately went down to more local levels, there was a lot of money pumped in, you know, and understood why, you know, we had a pandemic. So, um, and we wanted to make sure that schools were still going, um, children got what they needed, families got what they needed, but how do we, um, and how do we not lose so much ground? Well, what has happened is we we now, we knew then, but we even 
now even more so know that we had a lot of unfinished learning, you know, that just happened when the schools got disrupted, were closed, off and on closed, that students and even their teachers were trying to figure out how do you navigate this, you know. So one of our big priorities is how do we, how do we, this unfinished learning that we've had, you know, um, that's now in some ways um, building up because you're trying to make up for what you didn't get and then and then have to accelerate really to go forward. How do we do that? How do you, and, and so one thing at Trust that we definitely have, we have the research, we're looking at some of the policies that folks are doing around intensive tutoring. Mm-hmm. What are some of the programs that really work well? How is the money getting spent well, you know? Um, and so that, and we want to get that word out because we know it can work, it has worked, but most times folks are just like, I don't know, Point somewhere where it's a bright spot, where it's going well, mm-hmm. and then, um, and then we know what we can replicate, and then what we know what we don't need to do, and so, and that's the kind of work that um, Ed Trust is working on. There, um, it's a big one for us now. Is around unfinished learning. Yes, one of the great things that I think Ed Trust does um, is bring the right people together in the right rooms. Um, so you guys are hosting a policy convening where you have actual teachers. So one of our taglines on this podcast is real people in the real struggle doing the real work. Um, and you have those people here at the policy convening, but in the same rooms as people who can affect change and affect policy. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to us why this convening was so important to have um, and why um, it was necessary to gather all of these people in the same space? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we often, I mean, we hear about it in terms of, A, who's doing the work, who knows what's happening, and then who gets impacted by policy, you know? And often, and too often, we've had conversations where we had teachers, um, particularly educators of color, that would come back and like, why did that happen? And, and then you look around the room and say, it's because none of y'all were in the, in the room to give us your expertise in terms of why this might work well, this might not work well, or what you need to even consider, you know? So, um, so when we decided that when we were really going to focus on teacher diversity and, and, um, and that and policy around teacher diversity, um, we were very intentional that we want to make sure that we have, um, Educators of color, black teachers, Latina teachers in the classroom, in our in our spaces that were informing our thinking, you know, and then had to be able to, and have that time. So informing our thinking at Ed Trust also have a chance to talk to others, you know, across the country who were who were having the same kind of questions or trying to think through the same kind of things. Um issues. So, um, and we wanted to provide that kind of time to be able to do that. So that's why we have these convenings where we're like, step away and take two to three days where this is all about having this, this dedicated time, mm-hmm. um, to go through, um, yeah, some of the questions that we're dealing with. So that, so that was one re- another reason. Um, but I would say the main one is, um, very much you see in, in, in a lot of our more think tanky, um, organizations that initially go and advocate is that it's a lot of giving folks information based on their research and never talking to the people who are actually impacted by it, who are actually recognized as experts in it. So, yeah, so that's a big one. Um, and then a lot of, and then to be honest, a lot of, a lot of teacher spaces, organizations, we still just don't have enough teachers of color in these, in these, um, in these spaces. We just don't. 
Yeah, I wanted to ask you um, about that. Um, I think a lot of times we talk about teacher diversity. And I think that people are not targeted and specific when we talk about teacher diversity. And of course, at the Center for Black Educator Development, our, fo- our focus is increasing the number of black teachers and rebuilding the black teacher pipeline. Um, from your research um, and the work that you guys do, can you talk about the importance of black teachers and why black teachers are so important for black children? Well, why they're so important for all children? Mm-hmm. Well, we know, I mean, so when it comes from grades to attendance, um, grades, attendance, um, engagement in school, that with black teachers, black students do better. They just, they just do, you know? Um, and so we, and we've been seeing that for years and years. And, um, and on top of that, what's important about that is we say it's all students because it's not like other students go down when that happens. It goes up too. So everybody's rising. When you when you have black teachers in the classroom, um, all boats, everybody gets to rise. All students are doing well. We, and we see that across the board. Because often when we think of edu- ed policy for years and years, it was you had a certain standard. Um, I wouldn't even say a standard. Like you were looking at white students. You know, we're, we're representing as all, all students. And one thing we were able to do at Ed Trust is say, what's going on under those numbers? You must look at black students. You must look at um, Latino students. You must look at students with um, learning disabilities, et cetera. So, um, so I think we've gotten to a point in this country where we're, we're understanding that those groups we have to pay attention to. But there were still, I think, there's still this thinking that, what you do for one group, you don't do for another, you know? And what we understand now is that, particularly around the teacher diversity, is that when our black students are doing really well, our white students are doing just as well, you know? And so all students are doing well because um, because there's no harm. There's nothing that's nothing, you know, there's no harm. There's nothing that's going on in the classroom for the black, black educator that in any way... Um, hurts the education of, of white students. I mean, I just said it. I mean, more than anything, it helps it. It's more, um, it exposes the world more. It widens the world for um, all students. Um, it helps even also with their um, their engagement with each other. So, and teachers talk about that quite a bit too, so. Well, Lynn, I want to thank you for joining us on Building the Black Educator Pipeline podcast today. Um, I usually love to give my guests just a final airtime. If there's anything you want to say out there to our listeners um, and the folks supporting our podcast. I say check out Ed Trust. Check out Ed Trust. Go to our website. Um, we've got a lot of um, good reports that just come out around teacher diversity. We've got more coming out around unfinished learning. Um, We've got summer black student debt because we also do higher ed. So we can't forget higher ed. So just check out our website, check out our tools. Um, and uh, thank you. Yeah. Eric, welcome. Welcome to Building the Black Educator Pipeline podcast. We are so happy to have you here as a guest today. So we would love for you to tell our folks who you are. What should we know about Eric Duncan and his work? Well, appreciate being here. Uh, I'm Eric Duncan. I work for the Education Trust, worked at the Education Trust for about two and a half years. Uh, I've been in policy for about eight years. Uh, before that, I was an uh, educator in Atlanta, Georgia, where I'm from. 
so education is uh, huge for me. I grew up with education being a big priority. Uh, in particular, since I'm a black man, I know you can't see me, but uh, I've always uh, thought that education was a liberation uh, for black folks. And so it's so important for me to still be in this space, in this field. And it's energizing to just be able to uh, potentially make small changes in education to, to support the uplifting of black people in this country. So uh, that's who I am and that's what I'm about. Dope. We love that because we are all about uh, liberating education and education for liberation. Well, what inspired you to get into education? How did you land yourself in this field? Well, like I said, it's uh, my upbringing as a black man, particularly uh, being raised by a single mother. Um, it was always emphasized that education was my way to to have uh, sustainable success, if you will, or at least have some security in this country. Uh, so it was super important for me growing up. Uh, my mom instilled that in me. And then when I uh, went to college, I was a tutor um, at my elementary school that I went to. And I uh, just was I caught the bug. Right. You know, you're around your people. You uh, seem to make a difference, even though I wasn't the best teacher in the world. Uh, it was invigorating and energizing to be in those settings and to have a hand in supporting my people. So um, I got that itch, wanted to go in the classroom, went into the classroom, really enjoyed my years of teaching, uh, particularly in Atlanta, where I'm from. Uh, but I sort of saw policy and sort of the bigger picture uh, as a, a venue through which. I could potentially make broader changes. Right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, again, education has always been foundational for me. Uh, and then education policy is something that I'm, I've, I've gotten into uh, and noticed how potentially transformative it can be because uh, policy affects everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's that's sort of why I'm in it and, and why I'm, I still love it. Yes. One of the great things about your story is that you actually had the opportunity and the experience to experience children in a different way. I think a lot of times when we talk to young people about going into education, they don't really know what that means, right? Their only association with school is being in the classroom yep. um, in a place that some, many of them don't want to go back to. Even me. Uh, <laughs> see? Let's be real. Yes. If it wasn't for me tutoring, I don't think I would have been an educator or been in education because I didn't love school. Yes. Let's be real. And I appreciate you saying that because I think us being able to give young people different experiences outside of the classroom where they can affect change or impact the child's life is what inspires and recruits young people to be in the education field. Definitely. So, so appreciative that you shared that experience and you had that experience um, to be able to now have you be here um, leading some of this great work at, at Trust. So some of the things that you guys do, um, and when I talk about policy, I always describe it as like this invisible hand in education, right? Because nobody, it's not the thing that you can touch or see and everybody gets into this, this kind of lane about like politics isn't for me, but it has such a major impact on so many things that goes on in education. Um, and one of those things is teacher diversity, right? right. So right now, um, teacher shortage across um, America is a big deal. But we've been facing a teacher shortage um, for years um, at this point with black and brown folks. Can you talk to us a little bit about the work that you're doing at Ed Trust to focus on teacher diversity? Definitely. So we kind of take a three prong ap approach similar to what Ed Trust does. We're a data first organization. So uh, we want to share the right data for folks to understand the problem and see that it is a huge problem. Right. But we also want to tie in narrative uh, and stories because people feel these issues differently when they're told stories and given concrete experiences from folks. Right. So in addition to the data, we 
try to advocate for uh, specific changes and tie that to research and policy. So uh, with our teacher diversity work, we started with research. Uh, my former uh, Ed Trust uh, director of research, Ashley Griffin, did an incredible job of setting the foundation for our, our teacher diversity work at Ed Trust because before her, it was more around teacher quality uh, and diversity wasn't as intentionally focused on. So her research and her uh, dedication to this space in particular, highlighting the stories of teachers of color and sharing their experiences and why they remain in the classroom or why they leave the profession, set the foundation. Right. And then we added the data and what policies we see uh, from a state, local and federal level that support building a stronger pipeline of educators of color and keeping them in the classroom, right? And to your point, policy, while seemingly invisible, when it affects people, uh, it, it's, it's very visible and it's something that can keep people up at night, right? So we want to highlight and showcase not only the stories, but what are the promising practices that we see from policy perspective at the state and local level that other states can implement? And that's why we're at our convening today, because we believe that with uh, that information, those those policy levers, those uh, best practices that advocates, in particular educators of color, can put pressure on decision makers, policy makers to make the right changes. And then ultimately, we want educators of color to become those policy makers in positions of power and authority. So that's why we're here today. Perfect. So I know uh, we're about to wrap so final question is, um, what final words to our listeners uh, would you leave? How can they get involved? How can they support Ed Trust? How can they help make change in policy? What are some final things or closing things you would like to say to our guests listening today? Well, I think my uh, my great friend and colleague, Lynn Jennings, said to go to our website. We have a ton of resources, so start there. But you're all advocates, right? So uh, as you look at our information, if you want to visit Ed Trust, please do. Uh, try to position yourself as an advocate. Go to state board meetings and advocate for changes. Take some of the information that you've learned and seen from other states and present that to the, the right decision makers. And then, honestly, if you want to get involved, understand our issues and run for office. Get in power. You know, I, we want our people to have the decision making authority to change the things that need to be changed. So I encourage you as advocates not only to vote, to get out there, to understand what policies are going on, but really understand what power is in, in our country and, and go get it. Can you tell us a little bit about Hidden Heroes um, and, and what we're reviving here uh, with Ed Trust with that? Yeah, I talked about Ashley Griffin, who's done such great work with our If You Listen, We Will Stay report and other educator engagement studies. She really spearheaded the effort in 2019 to bring educators of color together uh, in Baltimore to set plans and strategies to advocate for changes in uh, diversifying the educator workforce in their districts, in their uh, schools, right? We wanted to take that idea of educators of color being the main advocates and really having the power uh, to, to make changes in their states and districts and uh, build some more capacity for them to uh, understand systems, to understand some of our policy levers that we've come up with in the last few years. Uh, and ultimately support them when they go back to their states for the next couple of years and beyond to continue to advocate for changes at the policy level to increase the diversity of the workforce. So this is an extension of Hidden Heroes, but we really wanted to build more, do more skill building, do more uh, planning, right? And uh, make sure that there's funds, that there's infrastructure and capacity to continue to support these states that are here. So instead of inviting local districts here, 
we invited state teams of educators of color from seven states. Uh, and those state teams will continue to advocate for policy changes uh, based on what they learn in this session and what they did before this session. Uh, and then we'll continue to support them moving forward. So that's really it's the legacy of Hidden Heroes uh, with Ed Trust getting involved in this space is why we're here. But we're trying to take it a step further and make sure that these advocacy plans uh, have the right resources behind them, the right plans, uh, and folks are able to go back to their states and really advocate for policy changes. Thank you so much, Eric, for joining us.